what you got in that blue cup that you are oh my goodness aaron it's water <laughs> i was like whatever it is you are downing that thing yeah because i'm parched i don't uh, have water in my glass i yeah um so mav are you after especially after 15 and 16 have you now come around on strategy versus physical game at all. But, th- but those 13. two things, I don't even know if that was much strategy. That's just dumbassery. And which one? 16 particularly is dumbassery. Well, okay, so uh, Colby, have you seen 16? Which one is 16? Was Fans versus, Fans versus favorites. favorites. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, David, can you mute yourself for a minute? I may have seen 16. Hold on. It has uh, John Penner, and, Johnny Fairplay, uh, Parvati. It has Parvati, right? Yeah, yes, Parvati. Parvati, Amanda, Johnny Fairplay, Sari, Penner, Eric, Joel, Chet, Nat. I have seen I, I watched 16. So Okay, so, so yes, Eric is an idiot. Yes. But yes, Sari, I know what you're talking about. Sari yeah. conceived the move and Parvati had the social capital to pull it off. It is stupid, but it's also an unbelievably impressive plot. No, because what's her? I, uh, I'm forgetting her name now. It literally, she's like, I literally am losing brain cells just listening to you talk about this idea. <laughs> I mean, that's how ridiculous. Natalie, she's like, it's so ridiculous that yeah. <laughs> I feel stupid just for listening to it, and then it happens, and his face. But Somehow, in the jury, in the jury, James is like, I'm not the stupidest survivor anymore. Hmm. Somehow Natalie's never returned, which is surprising because she was great on that yeah. season. I mean, she was the last. Oh, like, never mind. She, she was, was the, the last, last fan. Man. Fan. Yeah. Yeah, sixteen's a top three. Her for jury, me. her jury question, her jury question was extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. When she asked Parvati how her strategy in the game reflects in the bedroom. <laughs> that was a. Uh... That was the All Women Alliance season, right? Yeah, the Black yes, Widow Brigade. The Black Widows, the Black yeah. Widow Brigade. Um, yep, did you I, like? I did. On, did you like on the episode that Eric got voted out? How they showed all five voting confessionals, so that you knew it was happening. Yeah, it's so well done. I swear, the editors for these CBS shows are so good, so good at their jobs. See, so I always get the misdirects too when they're good. at but Survivor is also horrible when it misses. Um, for example, the season that um, Maverick is watching right now has the most unbalanced edit ever, where one person has over 100 confessionals and the next highest person has like 33. Do I know who this person is? Uh, yeah, I mean... I, you have to know who this person is. Okay. Like I mean, you oh, can this tell person me. I is, don't care. Well, I I mean Maverick, I'm sure that you know who the person is, so I'm just gonna say it. Are you fine yeah. with that? Yeah. It's Russell Hans. Oh, yeah. He, White okay, Russell so as he, I'm calling him right now because there is black Russell too. He Russell Hans is probably the most important character in Survivor history, being honest. Um, because he is the single person who changed who like changed the strategy of Survivor more than anyone else. 
um, because he modernized idle usage. As you saw, Maverick, he found an idol without a clue for the first without time. Without clues. And that, yeah, and that is what is the standard on Survivor now. Um, well, yeah. And, I mean, Tony did that for me. Tony's just like, yeah, uh, it's probably somewhere in the camp. There's a big lake in the back. I'm just going to go there and look for it. Then he finds it. Yeah, that's what happens now. There usually aren't clues for idols in new school seasons. I'm going to watch 28 again because I, I definitely think I would appreciate it. Now and that you're like, I'm seeing yeah. how it has evolved. Well, I seeing, think seeing after, did. after you watch Samoa and Heroes Villains, I think you should rewatch 28 because Tony is the closest player to Russell Hans that we've ever had, but they have very significant differences that make yeah. them fundamentally like, different that I'm interested in hearing you about. People like Tony and people don't like Russell. I was going to say, yeah. Tony's not a bad person. <laughs> Actually, you can, you can think whatever you want about Tony. Tony played a hell of a game. Mm-hmm. I will say, so, I've only seen 40, and I've seen Heroes versus Villains, and I have gathered it. <laughs> Wait, one thing I wanted to ask, too, before we go any further. Is Steven one of your prototypical players? Steven's I feel like he's got... Yeah, he's good. He's, yeah, yeah, I feel like he was another person. I'm like, this is the kind of person I think Aaron mm-hmm. would like. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's, a, that's that play style. It's adequate, above average at challenges, but strong, really strong social game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I, can I quickly talk His about... His issue... Sorry, what were you saying, David? Can I quickly talk about 14, even though it's terrible? Yeah, sure. So, honestly, like Survivor has very much a uh, diversity problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have a season 13. So I watched season 13 and 14 back Race Wars. Then. Well, yeah. that's why they did Race Wars, is because they wanted to be like, hey, we can be diverse. The worst and way. White- and then the white tribe was a rigged twist away from winning. <laughs> yeah, for no, seriously, it, it really was. Um, I was thinking about that too. Like, legitimately, the only reason the white tribe did not win is because of the because uh, yeah, no, that's really it. Because had had uh, had Raro won immunity there, then people believed that the bottle would have said to I two that they were merging, which I would believe. I I, can't, I would believe that too. That has to, that's another thing. Like the bottle has to be different depending on who wins the challenge. Yeah. Like, yeah. It has to be different. Um, but the main thing about 14 is like, I mean, obviously you have like, you know, um, you could definitely see that they were trying to do another like diversity thing where you have five white people, five black people, five Latina people, you five um, Asian people. And it just got to the point where I was like, this is kind of anyway. But then you get to the like the the end and okay, your final three is all African American, all black, and it's like I don't know that final tribal council just really rubbed me the wrong way. Between Mookie, like legitimately not letting the only black woman on the final tribal council like respond to his question, and then Alex talking about like integrity when your game is literally freaking Survivor, it's outwit, outlast, outplay, like whatever the order is that would play out last yeah whatever it is he's like literally he's so hurt like hurt personally about getting like backstabbed but like dude you got outplayed and he's he's like le- like bringing personal crap into it and then you have freaking lisi who legitimately has a, the, a, a, a a she has a claim for my least favorite survivor right up there with russell like as far as like just crap human being 
like she is like on par with lying about having a dog and and like being in Katrina. Like you know, like mm-hmm. I really uh, love how David are legitimately a-, a survivor podcast now. David, yeah. I've got a question for you. Sure. Do you know how many zeros are in a million? <laughs> I wanted to die when she asked. I want to know. Like, so wait, what happens if you answer that question wrong? Because she's not voting for anyone but for Earl anyways. So like if Dreams says the wrong number after not eating for a month and a half, is she like, ha, you don't know how many zeros are in a million. I can't give you a million dollars. Also, another big problem with that season is like, like you said, three people of color made the final tribal council and they still under-edited them in favor of over-editing the Asian man. Like, don't the whole time. Is amazing, but they did not let Earl tell the story, and Earl should have been the storyteller of the season. And then, and the people are like, like I get, like they put dreams. Yao Man, I don't care what anybody says. Yao Man put dreams in a terrible position because he is homeless, doesn't have a car. His mom does drugs, and he's like, oh, you can have this car, but if we make it to Final Four, give me the immunity necklace if you win it. And it's like, dude, you're literally leveraging, you're leveraging real life crap, like for the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I read somewhere that there was already an agreement between the cast, like whoever won was going to give Dreams the car, no matter mm-hmm. what. And so like now you're just leveraging it for for the game. And then he played the game right back. It's like he won the last immunity necklace. So like and and I, I genuinely think because they didn't realize that there was a possibility for a final three because the first final three was 13. And they yeah, were on – and the. Because Terry and Sari got robbed. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, I think when he realized that he had a legitimate shot at a million dollars with a final three, if it was a final two, I think he would have given it to Yao Man. Um, But then when they told him it was a final three and that was their last immunity challenge, I think he had to really reevaluate his whole thing. And I can't, like, it's really easy to say. I don't blame him. He got... He got paid. He did. I mean, he got hundred thousand dollars in a second place. Money is a lot of money. Yeah. And like, you're, you were going to say something about Steven. Oh, um, like yeah, his I downfall. Know. Cause I know, I think I'm, I'm pretty, oh, I know what his, what his downfall is that he took the golden boy. Well, no, I think, I think Debbie pointed out his, I think that's what flipped the boat on him. Cause I think there were going to be some that voted for him, but the second he, he said that he was going to take Aaron to final, he, that he's acknowledging that he's probably not as good as either of them. So I don't know. I mean, I think that that's JT was part the right JT was the right winner. So I'm yes, I'm yeah, but Steve, I don't think that Steven's game should be discredited. I think Steven. Oh no, an incredible I, game. I have a question. Yes, for all of you. Yes. So let's say that we are we are in a game of Survivor. Yes. We we have worked. With one person, this entire game, and honestly, with the jury, it would be a toss-up whether it's you or the other person winning the game. But the third person that's in the final three has a very slim shot of winning. You win the final immunity challenge, so you get to choose who you bring. Do you bring the person that you have worked with this entire time, all 39 days, or do you bring the other person? 
This is what happened in season 14. This was yeah. Earl. What, had, what, what do you do? What do you do? I had a chance to bring Yao Man with him, who was going to beat him. Or he could bring, bring Cassandra, who he knows is not going to get any votes. So it's like, and he voted out Yao Man. And he took some crap for it. But I would rather, I, I would vote him out. And I know I would get grilled on it from the jury. But you have to understand that, like, I would I would make that that I would be honest. Like, I think that I would have gotten beaten by said person or I, it was a toss up. They were my biggest threat. We made it to the final four, final three. And at that point, it's every person for themselves. And you got to where you wanted to go. And then at that point, it's just you're trying to win a million dollars. And that's the game, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah, I would say it comes down to I consider that the person that gets voted off like a sunk cost, like, or a sunk vote. I know that the person I'm doing, putting on that jury at the third person, that person's not voting for you whatsoever. So I would say the gamer in me would put the, uh, the person that I've been working with the entire game on the jury, because I don't expect whoever I put there to vote for me anyways. And then, but I would say the honorable side of me would say to take the person with me, especially if they are considered an equal um, or if not a better player, because it's kind of deal where I'd rather lose to the better player than to get grilled in final travel council that I didn't take them. It's kind of like you're danged if you do, danged if you don't. Yeah. Um, but but there's a there's a surprisingly and there's a pretty consistent history that the person who wins final immunity, the person they pick beats them, and especially if they choose the stronger player, it's happened so many times. So it's a pretty alarming stat. That don't take the truck. Don't take the car. Colby, you go, and then I'll go. I feel like me personally, knowing me, knowing myself, having one person with me for 39 days where I have nobody I have ever known before in my life. I don't – I have depended on this person – this entire time for over a month, I have a hard time believing in my heart that I would bring someone else over that person. I don't know if it's worth $900,000. I feel like I would bring that person with me to Final Tribal. And again, knowing myself, I've, I am confident in me and my words that I could probably bs myself to maybe persuading some votes but i i don't i feel like i would take that person because I mean, it also just comes down to the circumstances i think if there is someone that just played that strong of a game i think there are certain players that you can argue were going to win regardless it just by how w- wide of a margin they were going to win mm-hmm. yeah so i have found myself in this position before um, granted, not with a million dollars on the line, it's with internet pride on the line. But I think that that makes it almost a more pure decision in a sense, because there's not money on the line confounding the whole situation. So like, I don't think that orgs can compare to being on real survivor or real big brother, but I've made it and won final immunity or final head of household in two different orgs. And both times I took the wrong person to the end with me. One of them, um, I did not at the time really have a personal connection to any of the three people that 
were in the final four with me. The other time, I was close with both of the people, but the one person was like, even though we didn't really work together that strongly throughout the game, we were just each other's go-to to just talk like all the time and complain about the game and had a strong, a very strong personal connection. I took that person to the end and they beat me in the final vote. And it sucked losing, but I don't think that I would change that situation because, like, I don't know. I think that a strong personal connection is hard to betray. And I still talk to that person every single day. And then in the next org that I played, which was all returning players, which confounds the situation even more, by the time I got to the end game, uh, final nine which is before the end game, but the game kind of devolved to an end game quickly. It was me and two allies against the rest of the house. And I said to myself, I'm going to take these people to the end with me, kicking and screaming. And if we make it to the final three, I don't care if I win or if I lose. All that I care about is making it to the end with the people that I care about. I used to say separate game and personal on these games. But the more that you think about the games and the more that you put yourself in the situations that the players are in and the real things, the more that you realize that the game is personal. I'm going to make a hard pivot right now. My dad just texted me. Uh, I need a new t-shirt. <laughs> he is a chiefs fan. <laughs> and last year I got him a super bowl t-shirt and he just texted me that um, he needs a new t-shirt. <laughs> It's, it's the goat versus the baby goat. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. Here we I are. Mean, it's extremely exciting. I mean, Brady versus Mahomes. That's that's must-see. I just want to say Xavier is so brave for predicting that Tom Brady would make the Super Bowl. That is such a brave prediction by him back in July. I know. When you apparently have every July for the last two or so years. <laughs> I was about to say, it's like, it, considering how he does his fandom, is it really that brave? <laughs> oh, it, it's like sarcasm, saying he's brave to predict Tom Brady would make the Super Bowl. Please. I mean, is it sarcasm to say that you think the Browns are going to make the Super Bowl every year? No comment. Oh, back him <laughs> into a corner. I do... <laughs> off topic, but I do have an update on my Baker Mayfield take from last week, but let's continue with the current conversation and then I'll go into that. No, let's, I mean, no, you should go first. Cause then we're going to, we're going to dive deep into these games. Or okay. So when I was saying if he on trade for trade Baker Mayfield for now. So when I was saying last week that I was iffy on the whole Baker Mayfield, Deshaun Watson thing. I was reading a thread on Reddit that kind of put my um, thoughts into a good perspective on Baker, which is that in the 2018 quarterback class, I think that Baker Mayfield would only be successful in Cleveland and Cleveland is the, er, and Baker would be the only quarterback that is successful. Baker would only be successful in Cleveland out of that quarterback class from the destinations that he could have ended up and Baker is the only quarterback that would have been successful in Cleveland from that class I think that given the situation that Cleveland was in at the time 
every other quarterback in that class would have been absolutely ruined. But that's the type of situation that Baker thrives in, and that's why he's so important to Cleveland, because he thrives in getting into difficult situations, winning over everybody, and leading the team to greatness. He did it at Texas Tech. He did it at Oklahoma. He's done it in Cleveland. Josh Allen would not have been able to develop the way that he developed in Cleveland because he would have been thrown into the fire, into a complete dumpster fire week one. Lamar Jackson would not have the right offense around him in Cleveland and, again, would not have the time to develop like he had that first year in Baltimore. And, I mean, we know that Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold kind of flamed out already, so I don't think that I need to touch on them. Did we, did we though? I, I, I talked about this or I retweeted something on Twitter this week that I, I still believe that Josh Rosen can be a good NFL quarterback. Um, but do you disagree with me on my take that Baker and Cleveland are a perfect fit and there's no other place that would have fit Baker like Cleveland and there's no other quarterback in the class that would have fit Cleveland like Baker? No, I, I feel like. Baker going to Cleveland, Lamar Jackson going to Baltimore, and Josh Allen going to the Bills is the best case scenario for every single one of those quarterbacks. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just looking at your cat just creeping. Yeah. I must yeah. say, your cat's doing the most right now. <laughs> He's always doing that. Hilarious. Is he has he ever knocked down your TV? No. Not kind of. He is not sensitive to that. He's sensitive to be like scratching on my sheets. He goes crazy for that, but he is not sensitive for that noise. So let's talk about the early game, the Packers and the Buccaneers. Uh, It was not a pretty game (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination. The Buccaneers did win despite Tom Brady throwing three interceptions in the second half, David, go ahead. You're, you Tom Brady had the Jameis Winston stat line, and I know Jameis is pissed that he's getting praised. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I was about to say, like, Tom Brady did not play well. He did, That wasn't a good game. It was That was not a good game from a quarterback. He threw three interceptions in very critical situations. But. What I said on Twitter before this game, David, thank you for retweeting that thread, um, is that the the Buccaneers are, I didn't say this specifically, but this is what I meant, or this is what I, yeah, this is what I meant, that the Buccaneers were the highest variance team in the league. They are either they're going to be awesome or they're going to be terrible. I guessed, again, just guessed, literally they are 32nd in variance. I guessed that they would be bad in this game. Guess wrong. They were great. They were awesome. Their defense was great. And at this point to get in the league, or sorry, this point in the playoffs, it is any given Sunday or Saturday. In this case, it was Sunday, and they played great. The defense was awesome. So they're going to the Super Bowl. I was waiting for somebody else to have a take, but I guess <laughs> um listen, y'all. All I want to point out is that it's been 11 years since the Saints made an NFC championship game. It's been five years for the Panthers, three years for the Falcons. All I'm saying is get together, Saints. 
Listen, I'm going to be so mad if the Buccaneers get two Super Bowls before the Panthers get one. I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to be so mad if the Buccaneers have two championships before the camp, before the Car- before Carolina has one. That's not fair. Yeah. It could be worse, Colby. We could be a super poverty franchise. We're only just like right under the poverty line. <laughs> Where we could be real deep into it. We, we could be the Texans. We can, still, we can still pull ourselves up by our football bootstraps <laughs> and <laughs> make some football laces, maybe. <laughs> can we talk about how dumb the Packers were to kick a field goal? That was my next thing. Can, can we just talk what about do it? Like the Packers. Okay, so championship game, no less. Tom Brady did not have a good game. But on top of that, I feel like the bigger story is the fact that you, first of all, play just absolutely freaking terrible defense to end a half. You let Scotty, what is it, Miller? Yeah. Scotty Miller zoom, zoom past you in single coverage for a 50 yard touchdown with a guy that has his arm looks like the. Have you guys seen the. the one guy on Twitter, I think he's from maybe from Charlotte or Atlanta, where he's like, if it falls off the bone, if it doesn't fall off the bone, it's free. With the, oh, the turkey leg. And <laughs> he's like, this is Tom Brady and Drew B's arms right now. <laughs> like, you're letting this dude throw 50 yard bombs on you right before the half. And then on top of it, you don't convert in the red zone. You squander three interceptions in the second half that turn into six points total for three interceptions. Um, And then you have a fourth and goal. First of all, Aaron Rodgers could have run it in for a touchdown. That's one thing. Two, you don't even go for it on fourth down. You say, "Mm, I'm going to just be down eight or I guess five. I'm going to be down five and give Tom Brady the ball back with, you know, two and a half minutes left. This has always worked great for teams. <laughs> Tom Brady is notably not clutch in the last couple minutes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Do you, know, you know how stupid that sounds? I feel like these things should have gone through Matt LaFleur's head. <laughs> I guess going to the first thing, it was the whole idea that he threw three interceptions in the half and perhaps they could get it. They could have lightning strike just one more time, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it was a smart play because, like I said, congratulations—you lost by five instead of eight. That's that's really all that did. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I feel like you're playing scared at the most crucial moment in your season when with one of the best quarterbacks. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, if if you don't get it, okay, you lose by eight, and you were it, they were still probably going to get a first down anyways. But at least you you yeah, gave Aaron Rodgers a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, it was also a little disappointing. There was the pass interference uh, at the end of the game that gave the Buccaneers the first down to effectively end the game. I think it ultimately was. I think the receiver definitely sold it a lot as well, but there definitely was a tug on his shirt. No, he, he definitely tugged on his shirt. Like, that's not debatable. But, mm-hmm. big but. For the first 58 whoa, minutes whoa, of that whoa, game, that, that was not per- pass interference. Like, they were letting them play it out on a field. And I was telling some of my, my internet friends, like, oh, they're letting them play it out. I like this. If, they just, if they're just going to let it go for the rest of the game, awesome. Because, like, for the first 
literally three and seven eighths quarters. They were just letting him play. And I like physical football. I like big hits. I like receivers and corners and safeties being physical. And then to have the game effectively end on that penalty, it it rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. There's there was a there was a little game played back in the day. Uh, it was it was called UNC versus Gonzaga, and uh, I'm sure you guys have heard of it. And back in that game, that was the first instance because I came into the sports game late. I didn't really care about sports that much until I got to college. Um, and that was the one of the first games that I really noticed the inconsistencies in refing because I remember very clearly watching and seeing all of the the body bumping and all of the like all the stuff that was going on in the first half that didn't get called, and then in the second half you watch and there's like forty fouls called in a half in twenty minutes. Oh, you, you mean know, like, how by how both teams were in the penalty at the under twelve? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Like that kind of the incons- the thing that I get frustrated the most by is the inconsistency by referees nc state game mm-hmm. last you know past weekend same deal things that happened in the first half things that happened in the last five minutes don't change as far as what they look like but then they get called at the end of the game and not before or they get called early. like i would if I, I know refing is a hard job i cannot pretend that i could ever be a ref that is a lot of work you're running around you're probably too old anyway like <laughs> You're, you're you're trying to pay attention to so many things at once. Oh, I think I could be better than every single one of those guys. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Like, but at, so at one point you you have to say like, okay, well, I saw this earlier and I didn't call it. So do I start calling it now, five minutes before the end of the game? Like, you know, and that's the kind of frustration that I have because it's like if you're gonna be if you're gonna not call it, don't call it. Well, I think that. To be fair, though, there's a difference between intentionally not calling something and then changing that and missing something and then calling it after it gets pointed out to you. There has to be some kind of review process, though, at halftime. Like, they have to go over things that they didn't see or missed or something. Like, Okay, but here's the thing, because I have listened to enough interviews, at least from basketball coaches. I don't know about football, but from basketball coaches or from basketball referees. At halftime, they'll look at the number of fouls. And they'll say, oh, we are calling a bunch of fouls against this team. And they'll even them out. And I've started to notice watching basketball games, refs start evening out the number of fouls between each team. I have not noticed a similar thing in football. Maybe I'm not looking for it, but I have not noticed that same sort of thing. That's fair. I think the most, I think the thing that, the thing that frustrates me the most in, in football is holding, but like you could literally find a holding call pretty much every play or every other play. And it's like, you got to start getting real egregious and sometimes you can get kind of ticky tack and then like blocks in the back. It's like, I see them all the time, but you call them sometimes and not the others. And it's like, I don't know what's that they're seeing and what they're not seeing, you well, know, very, you know, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. This year specifically about holding, they have not been calling holding like they have in past years because if you notice, scoring is up. Scoring is up because they aren't calling holding as much as they have in previous years. So, yeah, you're kind of right there in that they, they aren't calling calling holding as much as, as they have in previous years. You remember when you could challenge pass interference? 
for that one year for that one time because the saints complained i i still think that you should be able to challenge whatever you want you still get two challenges but that's all you get yeah that's the other thing like the 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 whole concept of not being able to challenge something like when someone says that this is non-reviewable like that just that concept is just seems it's just so stupid to me what do you mean it's not reviewable it's on camera what are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you freaking talking about? Like, you are doing this make-believe rule for this make-believe reason, saying that you yeah. don't want to. Why don't you? Well, I don't want to. Like, I get, the, I get the process of saying, like, okay, well, we don't want to be here. Sit, we don't want to sit here all day and review every single thing. But when something is egregious, why can you not look at the camera and say, hey, we got that wrong? Or a game deciding, effectively a game deciding call as well. Perfect example, goaltending. You can't call it, uh, you can't reverse it unless you call it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that, that doesn't make sense to me. That one doesn't make sense to me. I think my least favorite penalty in all of sports is ineligible receiver downfield. Because that's basically, we don't like the long pass that you threw because a lineman was one step too far forward take it back because oh, there was it's a one... very common sense rule that is not called in a common sense manner it's the opposite of targeting we're targeting i think that it's a common sense rule that people have an issue with the letter of the rule whereas this it's a common sense rule that i guess i have an issue with the letter of the rule i don't know in the Bills game, which I guess we can transition to, because yeah, the Bucks won. The Bucks are going to the Super Bowl. They're playing in the in their home stadium. They're the first thing to play in their home stadium in Super Bowl, whatever. <coughs> oh my goodness, coronavirus! Oh God. <laughs> Good thing this is virtual. Okay, I'm back. Sorry, I literally choked my spit there. Um, happens the best. Yeah, the so the Bills had. And they're, they converted a fourth down, like their first or second drive. And Bill Barnwell tweeted it. I um, sent a message to some of my internet friends. I was like, the Bills had like 17 linemen downfield on that play. Uh, but they still converted. Um, that wasn't a very competitive game. Uh, the Chiefs are better than the Bills. I understand why some people thought that game was going to be close. Um, but it wasn't. The Chiefs are just on a different level. In the playoffs, they have an ability to kick it into a second gear that I don't think any other team in the league possesses, where if they know something is going wrong, like they all they have to do is flip a switch and they're they're off and they're going and that's why I think the Chiefs are going to win two straight Super Bowls. I still think it's going to be a really fun game, but yeah, there I, I, I totally see what you're saying. And there's something about the Chiefs getting down one or two scores in the playoffs. It's like they have you right where they want you. And like their defense is is playing really well. Because I said that, they're going to get torched probably. But like <laughs> – They've been they've been doing really well since like the like the last couple weeks of the season, Um, playing really suffocating on on really good receivers like Stefan Diggs has been like all NFL type like one of the best receivers in the league um, this year 
and they locked him up. He had like 30 yards today. I mean, perhaps I could be educated. I mean, I know they have Tyreek Hill, and he's going to beat just about anyone, I think, in a press coverage, but I don't understand why they're why so many teams play zone against them and because it just carves them up. Okay, they, they play zone because it's either going to be zone or man. Like those, those are your two choices. I, I, I guess you can play like a, a pattern match zone, but it's got it's going to be zoner man. And if you play man, it's going to be like either like cover two man or cover cover one man mm-hmm. with like a, either a robber or like a, a sitting five at the quarterback. And it's either going to be Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, just waiting because his offensive line is good. He's just going to be waiting to see who comes open eventually because they have Tyree kill and Sammy Watkins was inactive for this game, but I imagine he's going to be active for the Super Bowl. And then also um, Travis Kelsey is out there and also Miko Hartman and also one of the, huh? Um, and also one of, Hartman, yeah. one of their running backs is going to get open underneath where they don't have to worry about one of the deep safeties it's either that or it's going to be one of their very smart wide receivers or tight ends sitting down in one of the weak spots of the zone because that's something that they can do it's going to be pick your poison i say zone up if i were a defensive coordinator which i should not be a defensive coordinator but if i was i would say just zone up Cover two or cover four. Keep your eyes on Patrick Mahomes. Make sure he doesn't scramble or anything. And just try to keep everything in front of you because he's going to find a way to beat you. And if he doesn't find a way to beat you, one of these skill position players is going to find a way to beat you. And then people still get burned even in zone coverage because yeah. it's Tyreek Hill and he just outruns you. Yeah, that's what so, the Browns' problem it's was so last frustrating. Week, is that we either got – outrun by the wide receivers in zone coverage or we were playing good coverage and Mahomes or fucking Chad Henney was able to run for fucking 15 yards (laughs) two powerful quacks there man like it's just so it's crazy because like you have Tyreek Hill Mikul Hardman is a is a solid wide receiver you have Sammy Watkins, who has days where he could literally look like he's Devontae Adams, and then days that he disappears, but he's still there. You got to respect him. And, and he, he was hurt today, which, yeah. judging by the injury report, I have not looked far into it. It seemed like it wasn't something super serious. He might be back for the Super Bowl. Go ahead, David. And and, and then you you think about all of that. You think about his wide receiving core. You think about he have, you have a good offensive line. You have Clyde Edwards-Alaire who's a good running back who can also catch the ball out of the backfield. And then you add Travis Kelsey, who's a tight end, who's had like 1,500 yards three years in a row. And you're like, well, how the hell do I stop this? <laughs> you know? And you have a quarterback who's like, no, like he's like Magic Johnsoning, hee hee, like all the way across the <laughs> <laughs> Like, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Like, I, I, mean, I feel like the I guess yeah, I guess what I see what you're saying, like, especially when it's stuff like zone, it's where you at least know they're in front of you, and so you all just swarm them once they catch the ball. Yeah, like, looking at, like, uh, Josh Allen. Josh Allen's thing this season is he was 
so good against single high safety looks. If you're running cover one or if you're running cover three, he was tearing you apart. The Chiefs this game, they actually blitz more than I thought that they were going to do. But they also ran a lot, a lot of cover two, and they disguised the cover two a lot with a single high safety look before the snap. I'm getting way into like film study here, but it's just for me watch. Like they, they, they had like a single high safety look, and they would rotate one of their safeties back because they had their their free safety out there, and they had both Tyron Matthew and Dan Sorensen out there. They would rotate one of them back. That's the thing about the Chiefs. They could come out in the single high safety look, and you don't know which of those safeties is going to ro- rotate back into a cover two look, which is going to be very helpful against the Buccaneers because they were shredding the Packers' um, cover three and cover one looks. That's why they were confusing Josh Allen into making some very bad decisions out there. And Josh Allen has has improved a lot, but he is not at the level where he can look at the defense and say, and diagnose pre-snap where the rotations are coming from. Because I was sitting there watching this game confused about what the Chiefs were get, doing. It you was got- really creative, and it was a, a great job from their defensive coordinator. Go, David. I was just saying, because and you're sitting there and you're you've got the the eagle eye view, and he's sitting there on the field and he's trying to discern this, and it's like he's gonna like he'll figure it out. Like he's in year three, and you make it to the AFC Championship game. Like, you know, I'm happy for you know uh, Brandon Bean and and I keep forgetting the name of their coach. I know he was on Sean the, McDermott. Sean McDermott. There we go. It's it's the Panthers, <laughs> Panthers, AFC Panthers. Uh, <laughs> you think about it. Is, does Josh Allen remind you of, of Cam Newton at all? <laughs> No, no, but they should. He should. They should run him more. That's what I would think, because he's really good at it. <laughs> he's so good at it. Like he should. He should be running all the time. Like this should be a run first offense. Like Cam Newton at this point in his career was a better passer than Josh Allen is at this point in his career. They should be running Josh Allen more than he is right now, but like maybe they are preserving him more than we conserve we um, preserve um, Cam Newton. But that's just what I'm seeing because the dude is fast, he's elusive, and he is hard to bring down. Yeah. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they uh, they handle Tom Brady and the Bucks, and you know the Buccaneers have a good good supporting cast on offense. You got Mike Evans, you got Chris Godwin, you got playoff Lenny, uh, Ronald Jones, you know, obviously Tom Brady. So we'll see how they handle it. I think, you know, and Tampa's defense is good. They have a good run defense. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill because nobody really has. And I thought that the Bills were one of the best defenses in the league and they shredded them. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know what you can do at this point other than just try and get to Patrick Mahomes before he can hurt you. But that's easier said than done. According to DVOA, Tampa is going to win this game. But like I said, pre-game, they are the highest variance team in the league. 
they are either going to be great or they're going to be terrible, and we have no idea when the terrible is going to come. So we shall see. We shall see. Go pack. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else about the NFL before we move on to college basketball? Nope. All right. Oh, so wait, we beat... I have to I have to show you all my new Browns hat. Give me five seconds. Okay. It's not explicitly a Browns hat, but it's a new hat. We're we're giving um Aaron five seconds to find his Browns cat or his Browns hat. Um the Browns cat is somewhere in his apartment. I'm not sure where it is, but okay. What does he have here? Run the damn ball is what his hat says. I love it. That's great. I'm thinking about getting one in Carolina colors to wear to Carolina games next fall. We will see. We don't know if we need to run the damn ball in football next year. <laughs> no, but I feel like run the damn ball is a pretty universally good message. You can always run the damn ball. That that run better be established. Uh, I, I don't know about that. We know how big of a believer Colby is in establishing the run. Establish it. Okay. Let's talk about college basketball. Carolina, we beat North Carolina State earlier this week. It was a good win. I liked it. It felt good. It's always good when you beat the team in red. Oh, yeah. One by 10 points. Um, covered spread. Um, It was... I told Carla this at halftime when we were leading by 10 points. It was our largest halftime lead of the season. I said, I feel like this game is going to be one of those games where state makes us like a tiny run and we make a tiny run. It's going to kind of be like the big brother holding off the little brother, just like holding their forehead, just kind of keeping them away for the rest of the game and not letting them get like seriously close to you in that ended up kind of being what it was. Um, Caleb Love had his best game of the season, clearly during the state game. Not to mention, I think, just the overall guard play has improved. We finally have Anthony Harris back, who has been almost a godsend. And we've, we've all kind of been wondering what it would be like once he's kind of get introduced back into the rotation. And he's playing phenomenal, given the circumstances and given the limited minutes that he's played. So I think that's definitely helped on the backcourt side. And then not to mention, I think just the front court's improving, particularly with Armando. Armando is just continuing to show his improvement in his sophomore season. Um, unfortunately, Garrison, I think, is continuing just a struggle, unfortunately. Uh, but we still have Dayron Sharp as well. And I think Walker's getting more minutes too. If there's anything that's good about that, though, it's that we're kind of preparing for life post Garrison, you know, since this is his last year. I hate that that has to Perhaps. happen. But Armando is already filling the void. <laughs> he is, you know what I'm saying? And even that, like, Dayron De- may be still here. He may not. But if he is, that's another season of an amazing back, uh, you know, amazing front court. If he's not, you'll have Armando as your anchor. You give Walker Kessler some more minutes and, um, or yeah, and, and give him some more minutes and help him move out of the wounded giraffe stage of his career. Um, and wounded giraffe, wounded giraffe, like how he moves around on the court. 
<laughs> like he okay. Moved. Have you not <laughs> seen, have you seen him run? Did you see him run? <laughs> he runs like he's hurting. <laughs> like, uh, I, I mean, uh, I'm not arguing with you. I, I had never heard the tomb wounded giraffe, but keep going. Yeah. Um, but never mind. I was gonna say something really inappropriate. Um, the, uh, sorry. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to think. I actually don't know what our next year's recruiting class looks like, and the fact that I haven't really heard about it makes me think it's a pretty yep. small class. So. so we have two so far. We have Demarco Dunn, a six-four shooting guard, who's once again known for his shooting. We'll see how that actually translates once he puts on a Carolina form, and then Dontre Styles, six-seven uh, power forward. Yep, and um, I want a small forward. <laughs> Give me a small forward. It, it's gonna be one of those classes where I mean, this is a this is a six person class, and I'm not sure if I mean the two that might go to the league are gonna be Caleb Love and um, Dayron Sharp. And I'm not sure if either of them are gonna go. Actually. Which I so for that reason, I'm fine having a, a small recruiting class and just growing what we have. Um, but we we beat state 86 to 76, it was good to go above 80 for at this time, the second time in a row. We're starting to score, the three point shooting is doing better at this point. It feels like this team is starting to kind of figure it out and then we have um oh i guess state game was the most recent game before that we had wake forest i think that's also what you're meaning to say because that was the game that caleb put up his yeah he had had the 20 point game then had he still had 15 against state still played i think really well considering how he started out the season but nonetheless and then we get a pit team coming off a loss to wake forest yeah, yeah. I I watched the end of that Pitt Wake Forest game, and um, Pitt looked a little lost at the end of that game, not knowing where to go or who to go to. I mean, to me, the answer is easy. You go to Champagny at the end of that game. Yeah, he he seems like the one that is um the most dominant person on the court. He also seemed like that last year. Even though we we beat Pitt last year, um, with with the team that we had, I am interested to see how this game goes. Like we beat Pitt at Pitt last year. We're we're gonna need to beat them at Pitt again this year, or at least right here. That's gonna be a big game as far as us kind of transcending it to like solidifying our NCAA spot as far as the tournament goes. Right now, Joe Lenardi has us in the tournament. They have Duke out of the tournament. They also have NC State out of the tournament. We are the only team from a Power 5 conference into the tournament according to Joe Lenardi. I think he also has a and in there, but yeah. This is a big game against Pittsburgh coming up on Tuesday. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy to say. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll always will it, relish in a down year for Duke. It's still just crazy to think that they are on the house like that. I mean, was it Jalen Johnson's been out and or at least just came back from that foot injury? 
they had. But I think they're also suffering from us where when you live or die by the one and done system, you're going to have a year like this where just unfortunately the players just aren't at the same caliber as, the, as previous classes. Because you can see the cross the landscape. We're struggling. Kentucky's struggling. Duke's struggling. Kansas is struggling. I mean, and it's, it's very young teams that don't have strong leadership or, or things like that. But we've, we've, we've seen before they've been successful without that, but you're, you're going to have a year like this. But hey, Duke deserves our sympathy. They have to deal with economics majors. <laughs> Asking just outlandish questions. Did you see the tweet that I sent in our group chat a couple minutes yes. ago? I did Colby. see. Wait, let you're me gonna, look at that before I. You're going to laugh. It's so good. Um, I I have stuff to say about the the Duke thing. Uh, with while well, you're getting that plug, so for those that don't know, uh, who just previously beat him, Virginia Tech just beat Duke on the same day we played, um, and in the final press conference, Coach K was uh, just talking about giving his normal stuff about them being inexperienced, whatnot, and then a student reporter for Duke actually asked him a question, basically rounded out to what does this team do next. I think that's a perfectly valid that's a fair question. question. That's a valid question to ask. And then he just, I, I'm not sure if he just misinterpreted or if he was just frustrated and, and projected onto him, but basically made this analogy like, hey, what what is your major? What is your major? And asked him the question. He's like, he's an econ student. He's like, what's the hardest class you took? Just one business class. He's like, well, let's just say you were in your econ class and you just took a really hard test. And you don't think you did really well. You walk out of the classroom and then someone just walks up to you like, hey, man, what's next? That's a valid question to ask. Yeah, yeah. It's it's totally a valid question to ask. Both to the coach and to the student. I Yes, I acknowledge that. And also, I feel like the response to this question, like the, the, the question in K, Coach K's response to this question have been a, a, a little bit overstated. I feel like... I have seen Coach K rip into uh, a beat reporter and rip into a beat interviewer before, and it wasn't like that. Like I, I, I have seen him like dig into a reporter's soul before, and it wasn't what he did to this kid. So I, I, I feel bad for the kid because he was honestly asking for like next steps in what is this season for Duke, which looks like it's going to be an unsuccessful season for them. But also I feel like this is a bit of a, like an outrage competition on Twitter from what I've seen. I just think that coach K can be just a little bit of an asshat. Yeah, no, totally. A hundred percent. He can be. No, I, 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 I agree with you, David. I also think that this is, like a hat this isn't i'm not gonna say this wasn't one of those situations but this is like three-fifths of one of those situations that's fair it's not bobby knight throwing the chair no no yeah apparently also apparently who pulled a gun on a on a beat reporter i don't know if y'all saw that somewhere i saw that tweet what? somewhere. he pulled a starter gun on a on a beat reporter and the porter went you missed and walked away, <laughs> which is the coldest thing I've ever heard. 
that's funny. Uh, but anyway, uh, y'all, this melatonin is kicking in. <laughs> so, <laughs> so does that I'm mean it's time? Bed. It's time for me. If y'all want to keep going, you can, but I'm so tired. <laughs> I think that might, I mean, David or um, Aaron Mavi, have any anything else to add here? Oh, um, we can just keep talking about Survivor off the air. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say while we're still on the air, the Cavs are good. Go sex land. Go sex land. Also, David, you didn't see my new hat. No, I didn't. Run the damn ball. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking about getting one in Carolina Blue to wear to Carolina games when we can go to Carolina games again. Uh, So next week, you'll hear us talk about the Pittsburgh game. Um, Hopefully we win. It's going to be a bit of a tough game on the road. Um, But we will see. And I guess we will preview the Super Bowl a little bit next week. The big game. The big final game. Excuse me. Ex- thank you, Mav. Um, we'll preview the big game. Superb owl. 